if you're not loving the people of God, you really can't say you're loving Jesus. And if you're not loving the lost people of this world, look, I am here today because someone cared enough about my soul. And you're here today because someone cared enough about your soul. And God has given you a commission. And if you say, I really love people, and your next door neighbor is on his way to hell and you never say a thing, how can you say the love of God abides in you? Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, A Thief in the Night. We listened yesterday as Pastor Carl preached on the coming day of the Lord as we studied the meaning and the message of that day in context. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 says, Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. In today's sermon, Pastor Carl reminds us that when Jesus returns, there will be some believers who will shrink back in shame and embarrassed realizing that they have wasted their lives. As Christians, we should all be engaged in the things that are important. Furthermore, we must remember that if we love Christ, we will love the things that he loves. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 24. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. I can tell you right now, you do not want to be here for that day. The severity of it is so great. Unless God had cut it short, there would not be a single human left on the planet. Listen to these words in Revelation 6 as the day unfolds. Revelation 6, verse 14, And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. You begin to read the seal, the trumpet, and the bowl judgments, and at the start of the seal judgments, you begin to see literal geographical changes on the earth. Verse 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Oh, we often think of the gentleness of the Savior. But on this particular day, men will see the wrath of the Savior. Listen to Revelation 9 and verse 6. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die and death flees from them. Men will want to try to escape, but it will be an inescapable day. Even someone who wants to commit suicide will be unable to commit suicide on that day. It's a horrible day. It's an awful day. It's descriptive of the wrath of the Lamb. There's the eternal wrath of God that will come when this age is over, but there's coming a time during the day of the Lord where the wrath of the Lamb will come on the earth. Now, beyond the length of the day and the lament of the day, let's think for a moment about the language of the day. The language of the day. Again, Paul wrote in verse 1, that he did not need to write to them about the times and the epics because in many ways he had already spelled it out.
out. So let's read verses two and three. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, just before the cataclysm of the wrath of the Lamb begins to unfold upon the earth, the first rider of the apocalypse will come on the scene, and he will seemingly offer a solution. He's called the Antichrist. And then we'll be saying peace and safety. And it appears like, oh, finally, we have reached a new level of security and peace that we have always wanted. But then unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, the text says destruction will come upon them, suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. I believe that the nations of the world are unknowingly preparing for this uh, new world order, as they call it. They're trying to do a, a massive global reset, even as they met in Davos, Switzerland last week. They want to create a new world order. And just before the wrath of the Lamb begins to unfold, they will think for a moment that they've achieved it. Ah, oh, we finally have it. But notice the two vivid similes. You should circle the word like if you have a Bible. Don't look at me, look at your Bible. Circle the word like twice in the text. Paul tells them that the day of the Lord will come. First he says, just like a thief in the night. Now if you've ever had your home broken into, you know that the burglar never writes you a note to tell you that he's coming. No, he usually comes to in the night, under the cover of darkness, when he's least likely to be discovered and caught. That's when he comes. And so in Matthew 24, when Jesus speaks of the second coming, he says the second coming will come like a thief in the night. The world won't be ready for his return, just like they weren't ready for his first coming. Neither will they be ready for his second coming. But in the same way, the day of the Lord, different event, that will also come like a thief in the night. Unlike the rapture where Paul included himself with the pronoun we in it, notice the change of pronoun. He now speaks of them. They shall not escape. Namely, unbelievers. The day of the Lord, however, for the believer should not overtake you like a thief. Now notice the second simile. The day of the Lord will not only come like a thief, but it will also come like labor pains. Verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety... Then suddenly will come upon them, suddenly, like, there it is, like, circle it, suddenly, like, labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, this word suddenly is emphasized in the Greek New Testament, for suddenly in the pregnancy of an expectant mother, labor begins. Even with all of our modern methods, you cannot escape the fact that when a baby comes, it comes with labor. It is inescapable. And Paul says, they shall not escape. God planned it that way, that when the day of the Lord comes, there's no escape. Now, we just read about those who will try to escape. They'll try to hide themselves in the caves from the wrath of the Lamb, but they will not be able to. Now, both illustrations teach us something about this day leading up to the second coming of Christ. Like suddenly in the middle of a night when a thief breaks in, even so suddenly, like a woman who's pregnant, her labor begins. At the same time, there's some obvious and distinct differences. Labor pains upon a pregnant woman come as no surprise. But once they suddenly start, there's no escape. 
they both are sudden. The burglar is unexpected, whereas the laborer in the pregnancy is very much expected. And so putting these two metaphors together, the day of the Lord that will commence after the catching up of the church, it will be sudden and unexpected like a burglar in the night, and it will be sudden and unavoidable like a woman beginning to deliver her baby. In the first case, there's no warning. and the second case, there is absolutely no escape. Now, that's the meaning of the day. Secondly, let's think about the message of the day, the message of the day of the Lord. Truth in the Bible is always practical. It's always applicable. And so since the day of the Lord is coming suddenly and unavoidably, how should we live as believers in Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in verses 4 through 11. First, we're taught we are to wake up. We are to wake up. Follow along as I read verses 4 through 6. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Now there's a real shift here of emphasis when you come to verse 4. Verse 3 starts, while they, speaking of the lost people of this world, but verse 4, suitor, it's the strongest contrastive in the Greek New Testament, but you, you by way of contrast, you believers who know Jesus, you are to be different. Now please notice, Paul is using this word sleep differently than he did in chapter 4. Words in many languages, including Greek, will very often get their meaning from the context. Sometimes there's a word that always means the same thing in English as in Greek, as in Hebrew. But sometimes words take on a different nuance depending on the context. When I speak of a trunk, do I mean what's out in front of an elephant? What's at the bottom of a tree? What's behind a car? What's over a sailor's shoulder? All depends on the context. He is using the fourth chapter, this word sleep, as a metaphor for death. We shall not all sleep. That is, we shall not all die. But now he uses this term sleep in reference to those who are spiritually lethargic, to those who are not awake spiritually. And like a man asleep, they're insensitive to what is really happening spiritually in the world. And that's where our nation is today. We're asleep. We can't even see what is happening. And so all these pundits, all this last week, what's the solution? We need this law. We need that law. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need more mental health. We need this. We need people to turn back to the living God. And when you have people out of the church, and then you begin to poison little minds as early as kindergarten with soiled, wicked, evil doctrines, Jesus said it would be better for a millstone to be tied around a person's neck and drowned in the deepest sea than to harm a child like that. But that's what we're doing. And if you don't believe it's happening in South Carolina, you're asleep. You don't know what's going on. It's happening, not just in our state, but across America. And God's people better wake up. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 5. Remember, who, who planted the church at Thessalonica? Paul did. You can read about it in the Acts of the Apostles. How long was he there? Three weeks. Three weeks. Listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2.5. We're coming to this. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? 
In other words, if we're going to be spiritually speaking alert and sober, then we need to know about Bible prophecy. How important was Bible prophecy to the Apostle Paul? He was there three weeks. And he told them about the end times and the coming Antichrist and the day of the Lord and the catching up of the church. I'd say it's pretty important to him. That's why we cover it in the discovery class. Because it's important to the health of a new Christian. It's important to the health of every believer. Now let me ask and pause here with a question. Will Christ's physical return from heaven happen during the day or at night? You say, well, I, I think it will happen at night. Well, if it happens at night in the United States, on the other side of the globe, it will be day. But let me ask another question. Spiritually speaking, will Christ's return happen at daytime or during the nighttime? Well, the answer is both depending on who you are. In the case of unbelievers, he will come, spiritually speaking, in the night. But in the case of believers, we are not of the night. We are not of the darkness. It's not to catch us that way. Look at verse 4. Look at the contrast. But you, brethren and sisters, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. In other words, if we belong to the day, if we're saved, if we've been born again, if we've been awakened spiritually, then we are to live in daytime behavior. We're not to yawn. We're not to live in our spiritual pajamas. We're to wake up. We're to be alert. We're to be ready. For when Christ comes, it is not to take us by surprise. We are to be alert. And this world is asleep. It is in darkness. It is deluded. And the great day of God Almighty is going to catch them by total surprise. Now, again in verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. The world may be in moral sleep, but we are to be wide awake. Why? For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. God is reminding us that the people of this world are just the opposite of what we are supposed to do. When do people sleep normally? Well, normally at night. And just like sleep is natural at night, so indifference to God is natural for the lost man. His heart is not aflame for the things of God. He didn't think about Jesus this week. He didn't think about who he could win into the kingdom. He didn't think about his next-door neighbor in terms of the coming eternal wrath of God. He's asleep. The only thing he's concerned about is me, myself, and I, that he's got plenty on his plate. He's more concerned about his football team, his basketball team, his hockey team, than he is about the living God because he's asleep. And by the way, when do people normally get drunk? Well, typically they get drunk at night. They, they, they party under the cover of darkness. Oh, they may be religious. They have a form of godliness, but they denied its power thereof. Their theology is no different from that of a drunken man. They think everything's fine. God and I, we got our deal. He understands me. He understands I sleep with my girlfriend. He understands I like to get buzzed. As long as I don't hurt anyone, God doesn't understand. No, he doesn't understand. He calls you to a new birth. He calls you to repent or you will perish. He calls you to a new life. And he calls the people of God to a new lifestyle. Jesus warned in Matthew 24... And because lawlessness, what's lawlessness? First John says sin is lawlessness. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. 
And so we are to dress up. We are to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says we're to dress up by putting on the helmet of hope. It says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, I think most of you know that the word hope in the Scripture is not something that's indefinite, but something that will absolutely happen in the future. And so when Paul speaks about the hope of our salvation, he is speaking of a certain guarantee of something that is going to unfold. And so John says, for instance, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can know, not wonder, not maybe, but know that you have eternal life. And if you don't know today that if this were your last day on earth, that heaven is absolutely, certainly your home, it usually means in Scripture you just never have been saved. But the believer, the true believer, can know that he has eternal life because it's not earned or merited. It is gifted. It is humbly received. Now, Paul already recognizes that these are believers when he speaks of the hope of their salvation. He's already called them beloved of God. He has already affirmed that they will meet the Lord in the air. Why? Because they're saved people. So he's not questioning whether the recipients of these, this letter in, are, are saved, and yet he tells them to put as a helmet the hope of salvation. Why does he say that? Because salvation is a big word. And if you've been in our discovery class, you've learned there are three tenses to this salvation. You've been saved from the penalty of sin in the past. That's called justification. That happens the moment you receive Jesus as Lord. You're being saved in the present from the power of sin. That's called sanctification as you learn to walk in the Spirit and depend upon Him. In some glorious day in the future, you'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And Paul is saying, listen, no matter how dark it may get, Put on the hope of your salvation. Why? Because God is in control. We don't need to despair. We don't need to say, oh my, what is this world coming to? I know what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. And he is in charge. And we need to be ready because that's the hope of our salvation. That's the promise. So we may not always know all what's ahead, but we know who's ahead, that Jesus is coming back. So we're to wake up. We're not to be like the unsaved. We're to put on the breastplate. The breastplate protects a man's heart. The breastplate of faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. How much time, by the way, did you spend in God's word this week? If you have just a casual attitude towards Holy Scripture, then you're not following this command. God wants us to wake up. He wants us to dress up. But third and finally, he wants us to look up. He wants us to look up. Look now at verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Now, the wrath to which Paul is speaking of in this context is not the eternal wrath of God in hell, Oh, please understand, that's coming. But again, contextually, he's speaking of the day of the Lord, that wrath called the wrath of God that happens during the tribulation period. In describing that seven-year period, listen to some of these verses from the Revelation. Revelation 6.16, the apostle John there called it the wrath of the Lamb. 
or Revelation 14, 19. John spoke of the great winepress of the wrath of God in describing these uh, sealed, trumpet, and bold judgments. Revelation 15 and verse 1. John saw the last two plagues, and he says, In them the wrath of God is finished. In Revelation 16, 1, the command was given, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. And so Paul is reminding us in this context that if you've been saved, you've not been destined for the day of the Lord for this coming tribulational wrath. And so jot down this verse. I already read it once, but I want to cement it in your thinking. Revelation 3 and verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance... And by the way, the Bible does not teach you're saved by persevering, but it does teach if you are saved, you will persevere. That was a question this week on the Bible line. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is to come upon the whole world. Never happened yet, but it's coming. To test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Well, that's a great promise for the church at Philadelphia. But how does that apply to me, Pastor? Then he says in verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not to the church, but to the churches. In other words, what he's saying to the church at Philadelphia, he's saying to the people of Community Bible Church. When Jesus comes to rapture the church, he's going to ek, take us out from this world, he is going to carry us to heaven. We will, during that seven-year time frame, meet the Lord. It's called the judgment of the just, the judgment seat of Christ. Not to see if we get into heaven, but how God will reward us throughout all of eternity. We're coming to that in this series. But understand, before God will pour out his wrath, he's going to take his children out. Before a kingdom declares war on another kingdom, it calls a national home. What did God do before the great worldwide flood? Well, he took Enoch out directly up into heaven. It's a picture of the rapture of the church. And then Noah is left behind, and, and he is a picture. He's a type of Israel. And at the end of that awful flood, he goes into a brand new polished world. And that's what's going to happen. The church will be removed. The tribulation will unfold. And then those tribulation saints who come to faith, and we with them will enter into a brand new world where Jesus will rule and reign. Listen, before God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do with Lot? He removed him. Lot was a saved man. The Bible calls, us, calls him a righteous man. The angels could not, the Bible says, pour out the wrath of God until Lot was removed. Even so, we will be taken out before the great tribulation. Therefore, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Listen, there are some Christians who think we're going through the tribulation. A lot of Christians today, because they're all millennial, they don't even think there is a tribulation. They just think Jesus come back, that's the end. Oh my, what a disservice to the word of God. But then there are those Christians who say, no, obviously God made some unconditional promises. He is going to come back and literally rule up his kingdom on earth. But we're going to be here for the great tribulation. Look, if we're here for the great tribulation, we shouldn't be looking up. We should be looking around. We shouldn't be looking for Jesus. We should be looking for the Antichrist. We shouldn't be saying, even so come, Lord Jesus, like John said. We should say, even so come great tribulation so Jesus can come back. 
or maybe even so come death so I don't have to go through the great tribulation. No, we won't be here for the great day of the Lord God Almighty. Now listen, if you're a saved person, you should be engaged in things that are important. You should be a member of a New Testament Bible-believing church because if you love Christ, you'll love the things that he loves. And if you just come to sit, soak, and sour, there's something wrong on the inside. You say, you're making me mad. I'm just telling you the truth. If you're not loving the people of God, you really can't say you're loving Jesus. And if you're not loving the lost people of this world, Look, I am here today because someone cared enough about my soul. And you're here today because someone cared enough about your soul. And God has given you a commission. And if you say, I really love people, and your next door neighbor is on his way to hell, and you never say a thing, how can you say the love of God abides in you? Look, there's coming a time when Jesus comes back and John will write, and little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away in shame at his coming. Some believers, when Jesus comes back, they will shrink back in shame. They will be so embarrassed that they wasted their lives. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I pray today for someone listening. Maybe they're on one of our campuses. Maybe they're in another nation of the world, but they're live streaming. And they don't really know that they're saved. Father, your word says if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no reason. That is to say, your word teaches if we could be saved by the things we do, then Christ died for nothing. Your word affirms that we are saved by grace through faith, that it's not of ourselves. You said it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. You said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Help some dear soul listening to humble themselves, to admit their moral bankruptcy that needs to be forgiven and changed. Help them to put their faith where you put their sin on your son. You promised that whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Help some person to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you saved me, I will live the rest of my life for you. Now, Father, I know there are hundreds, perhaps thousands listening within the sound of my voice that has made that decision. But some of us have allowed our love to grow cold. So help us to do some personal inventory. And when he appears, we will not shrink back in shame. We ask it, Jesus, in your holy name. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 787 7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 003. 
Also, if you missed a sermon in our series and would like to listen to a previous message, you can do that by downloading the Search the Scriptures app found in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just type Search the Scriptures and look for the blue icon with the white triangle. On the app, you can download messages to listen to at your own convenience. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.